1: I'm really, really proud of my parents because I know that it wasn't easy for, for them. They have been just so open and so just full of love and my choices and my decisions, you know, about who I love. Um, because in Jamaican culture, that is just a very hard conversation. Yeah. I'm Arian Hunter, and I am a model minority.
0: Welcome to Model Minorities. This is a show about work and life told through the lens of what makes each of us different. I'm Sharon Lee Tony, a Chinese American girl born and raised in New York City.
2: And I'm Raman Segal, an Indian American boy who came from Alabama
0: with a banjo on my knee. Through conversations with some really interesting people, we uncover the stories, perspectives, and often unspoken truths about how our guests uniquely experience the world.
2: Basically what we're all thinking about, but probably not talking
0: enough about. Whether you're black, white, brown, yellow, gay, straight, boy, girl, or anything in between.
2: This is a show about all of you for all of us.
0: Today, we're talking to Arian Hunter, founder of Project She Went For Her Dreams.
2: Yeah, this was just a really fun personal conversation. I've never spoken about someone's mom as much. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, she talked about more than her mom.
2: No, but I, you know, no, uh, here's why it was personal. And it really got me to reflect a little. It's just like, Ariane talks about her reflection. She reflected a lot on her relationship with her mom through yes. all the elements of her career, of her love life, of yes. uh, the parents' decision to, you know, go from a not so safe neighborhood to a really safe neighborhood. Um, mm-hmm. Not yes. just as a son, but as a parent, I could just relate on so yeah. many levels.
0: And she she really took us through her whole experience from, you know, being the only African-American girl in school or in her neighborhood to then choosing to go to a historically Black college and university and finding her way through corporate and how that felt. And then finally kind of breaking free of all of that and just creating her own path and creating her own platform. For other people of color um, to shine, so it was it was really illuminating talking to her, and I also feel like she was very thoughtful with her answers um, and dug really deep into the experiences that have shaped her.
2: Yeah, and you know, all of our lives are kind of evolving, and everything changes every day as we become more rounded people. But it seems like everything she did kind of culminated on a professional level with projects she went for her dreams, which is kind of the organization she, she founded about almost a decade ago. And it's there to increase the number of women entrepreneurs in the marketplace. And it's just kind of conversations need to happen. I don't want to say interventions, but like almost, we need to pause and kind of address what not just systemic issues are, but what systemic solutions are. And I'd strongly encourage folks to, you know, either get in touch with them at, she, at com or just go visit the site. Um a lot of really interesting resources there.
0: And Erin herself is such an inspiration. I mean, she she truly embodies the, the the values and the purpose of the work that she's doing and I think that I think everyone's going to really enjoy hearing about her own journey of how she got to where she is today. And she also even shocked both of us, me in particular, with um, how personal she got with some of the other elements of her life.
2: Yeah. So why don't we dive right in and meet our friend, Ariane? So Ariane, I got to ask, a lot of people kind of know what you do professionally, but I want to know about something before that. Can you give me a story from when you were younger, something that might've kind of shaped your point of view on the world?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, So I am a native New Yorker. I grew up in the Bronx. I was born there and was there for about... 10 years until my family moved us to the suburbs of long island um so <laughs> as you can imagine uh growing up in the, one of the most diverse boroughs of new york city um to a predominantly white neighborhood in long island uh you would imagine sort of the culture shock
2: um, yeah. of well, wait so i mean you must have gone from being you know uh You moved to Long Island, where all the other white people live, because you're white, right?
1: (laughs) I am not. (laughs) wait, are we on the right (laughs) podcast? Are we talking to the right person? (laughs) (laughs) No, I am not. My voice might say otherwise, (laughs) but I am an African-American woman um, and from Caribbean descent. And yes, that is, that is.
2: So, uh, So not the stereotypical girl in Long Island?
1: No. No, not at all. And keep in mind, this was in the early 90s. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. Very different time. What was that
2: like? So tell, tell us, what was that like going to Long Island? that was been like culture shock almost.
1: Yeah, yeah, for sure. Culture shock. Um, initially, when I learned that I was going there, it was me and my family, my brother. I have an older sibling. He's five years older than me. And um, we were actually really excited. We had a uh, family that lived out there. Um, a grandmother had moved out there. And um, we were excited, actually, about the idea of having a backyard, (laughs) right? Like, that was really the selling point for me. It's like, yay, we get to have, like, green space and, you know, places to to run around. Um, And it's going to be so cool. And honestly, um, Long Island, in my 10-year-old mind, was a place that you know, symbolize that you've made it, that you're successful. Like mm-hmm. things are, you know, this is yeah. the place that you want to go. Um, the Bronx is like, Oh, it's, it's grimy. It's, you know, a lot, shit, a lot of shit happens there. I am so sorry if this, there's no. No, it's all good. Uh, yeah. no, but I should have cleared that. i um, <laughs> uh, yeah, will say it
2: too. Shit. Sorry, mom. Uh, <laughs>
1: okay, uh, I feel better.
2: No, but no, what was, I mean, a lot of our listeners <laughs> yeah. Yeah. aren't from New York City. Um, they yeah. don't live in a big city and So, okay, so where did you play in the Bronx if you didn't have a yard? Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So we grew up on the Grand Concourse, like right in front of a park. Um, It's right across the street from our apartment. Um, The Grand Concourse is a huge, huge stretch of land um, or yeah, it um, pretty much spans, you know, pretty much the most of the Bronx. And we were fortunate enough to have a a park in front of us, which is really great. There was swing sets and slides and walkways and, and things like that. Um, But, you know, there was a lot of, violence also (laughs) happening. It's not a place that you would want to be in after dark. And, you know, I vividly remember my parents, you know, wanting my brother and I to be in the house or at least close to home, um, at least by like when the streetlights come on, (laughs) you -hmm. know. So, so yeah, you know, it, it, although we had access to, to parks and playgrounds, um, it, you know, the safety just, just wasn't there. And I think, you know, looking back in the early nineties, that's, you know, pretty much what our parents, you know, wanted for us was for us to feel safe and to be safe. Um, and moving us to Long Island was the, the safest place that they can think to, to, um, to bring us. Right. right. So that definitely factored into the decision.
0: So yeah. you you arrive in Long Island. You've you've made it. You guys have yeah. your white picket fence and your beautiful backyard. And what was it like to be probably one of the few? I'm guessing um, yeah. African American families in your neighborhood.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah i I remember my first day of school. Um, I remember feeling um, very awkward. Um, coming into the classrooms. Um, It's, you know, it was a very predominantly white uh, setting. All the teachers were, were white, middle-aged men and women, mostly men. Um, And I remember, I don't know if it was the first day of school, but it was, it was definitely, you know, like the first weeks of school um, coming in. And I, um, I remember hearing uh, a classmate of mine um, say to me, wow, you look weird, right? Wow. And oh my God. I don't- How old were you again? I, I was 10. I was 10 okay. the first okay. year. Just I moved. Move.
2: There, you just right? moved, okay. okay.
1: Just moved. And um, I remember her saying that comment to me and feeling rather like dumbfounded, not really mm-hmm. understanding what she meant by that. Um, and in hindsight, I think it what she was- you know, um, uh, her, her comment was to my hair and like how I had my, I was wearing my hair at the time um, and I don't know what my fashion was it was probably something a 10 year old you know would be but um, like her I like something in, neon
0: I remember yes. wearing lots of fluorescent yes. at 10 yeah
1: <laughs> a lot of scrunchies exactly <laughs> yes. uh, beads in the pads. hair shoulder, shoulder, pads. shoulder pads yes leggings yes. and
0: shoulder pads yeah yeah, yeah. Yep.
1: I you know my I wore my hair in braids a lot you mm-hmm. know my my mother was really big on just like having my hair quote unquote tame and calm and 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 braided and well kept. And, um, I just don't think that they were used to seeing a person like me in the classroom. So her first comment was to me that I looked weird. So imagine, you know, a 10 year old, um, being very impressionable and sort of being super self-conscious from day one, that my looks were something that was, you know, up for sort of, um, for judgment. Mm -hmm. Um, So, so yeah, yeah, it was sort of a first impression that I got of the school and I didn't, you know, it, it took a really long time for me to adjust and to settle in, um, because it was the first time in, you know, my, my first decade on the planet that I felt super conscious of my skin color.
0: Yeah. Did you go home and tell your parents about it?
1: Uh. Honestly, I didn't. Okay. Um, I, I didn't be, I, I don't know what my reasoning was for that, but um, you know, it was very complicated, <laughs> yeah. you know, of at course. the time. And um, the adjustment was sort of something that my brother and I had to kind of deal with on our own. Yeah.
2: Yeah. It's funny. Cause when I was growing up um, for me, it was like the opposite. I grew up mm-hmm. in the suburbs, right? Like yeah. white Alabama. And, you know, we had a black neighbor. My <laughs> yeah. mom's BFF is is actually a black woman. Yeah. But yeah. for the most part, I thought, thought of myself as a white person because, mm-hmm. you know, we were kind of upper middle class mm-hmm. and it wasn't until around the age of 10. So this is kind of the inflection point around the exact same time.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, I started to realize, oh, I'm different because I just... Because I thought of myself as effectively a white person, you know, mm-hmm. even though I knew we went to temple, we ate different weird food at home.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, yeah, it's just so, it's so interesting mm-hmm. as your identity forms by what other people tell you, or you start to pay more attention to what other people tell you around oh, yeah. that 10 or 11 age. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Especially yeah. when those other people are the majority, right? Exactly. Kind yeah. of start to form in your mind that what's, what's better or what's right or wrong or mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Did you, did you feel like you had to do anything to fit in then at school or with your friends? Uh,
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. I tried very hard (laughs) to fit in. Um, I, I'm a, I'm a really, so I'm, I'm a, I'm an Aquarius (laughs) Mm -hmm. and, um, I, I tend to, um, take in the energy and the environment. And, I can summarize pretty quickly what I need to do to fit in, to please, Mm -hmm. you know? And, um, yeah, it, 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 that sort of became my job, you know, to understand and to study what are the group dynamics here? Who are the cool folks? How can I minimize risk? How can I fit in? What do I need to say? Um, yeah, because I'm I'm very much a people person. I very much love relationships, I love friendships, I love to socialize. Um, and I wanted to fit in, you know, like any, you know, person at that age, I wanted to fit in. So I was very good at just studying the environment and seeing what I needed to do in order to 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 be accepted. And what, you know? what
0: were some of those things?
1: Yeah. Um, so it was dressing the part, right. It was, uh, straightening my hair. Um, I got relaxers probably at around 13 years Mm old, um, started to straighten my hair with chemicals to have that bone straight. Yeah. Talk us through that
2: because I don't think a lot of people realize like Mm -hmm. how much effort is that? Like Mm -hmm. how long would it take for you to straighten your hair?
1: Oh God, hours, hours. Um, and it's, it's a very, it's a very time intensive and very, um, painstaking process. Like, you know, having a relaxer put into your hair means like literally burning your scalp, (laughs) putting, you know, lye, ammonia into your hair strands so that it can be straight you know, and this was the definition of, you know, what it meant to look beautiful and to be accepted. Right. So it was Mm -hmm. no question in my mind. It's like, mom, I want to relax her. Let's, let's do this like ASAP, you know? Um, and it's what I felt I needed to do in order to be accepted and to, to, to belong, you know? Um, And so, so yeah, so it was, you know, straightening my hair. It was, I think at the time, you know, wearing the right clothes, (laughs) you shared, you mentioned like the neon colors, the scrunchies, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like all of those things um, really mattered, you know, to me at the time in order to be accepted by, by the group. Um, I remember um, like wanting a pair of black Nikes Um, that was just like, you know, all the rage, um, in, I don't know what that was like, maybe, or yeah, early nineties. And, um, my parents not being able to afford it, you know, and having to do without and what that meant, you know, it it meant that at school you weren't accepted because you weren't wearing the right clothing, you know? Um, and yeah, which it was such a struggle. Um, because my parents, we, you know, come from very humble means. Um, my grandmother immigrated here from Jamaica, um, my mother after her, and, you know, really, really humble means. And we didn't have yeah. a lot growing up. And um, we shared spaces at home for a really long time. And so, yeah, so it wasn't easy to come by um, these things as a child that you felt you needed in order to, to belong. Whereas for myself at that age, I felt that looking out on my my peers and the students, the other students at school, like they had access, you know, they had access to things. They were up on fashion. They were up on, you know, they had cars, you know, Mm -hmm. at really such a young age. And um, yeah, that was something that I felt I was sort of lacking or, you know, something that made me sort of an outcast because it wasn't as easy, like easily accessible my family. So yeah,
0: yeah. it was tough. So, yeah. And so fast forward, cause, mm-hmm. um, so Raman, I don't even think I've told you this Arian and I go pretty way back. Mm-hmm. She was at my wedding. Mm-hmm. She oh. was my wedding photographer. <laughs> she was a wedding guest and also a photographer. <laughs> um, so we've known each other for at least 10 years or more. And Aaron, you wear your hair curly now. So you've definitely come a a long way and you've kind of come into yourself. Tell us about how you're different today than you were as a child and what transformed that change.
1: Oh God. Wow. Um, so I will say this, um, I went from going to a predominantly white elementary, junior high and high school to an HBCU (laughs) Mm, Wow. Oh,
0: hang on. I know the the acronym
1: because
2: my dad works at one. My dad works at one. Yeah. But, and you can try to guess uh, if I'm from Alabama, but explain to everyone what that is.
1: Yeah. So an HBCU is an historically black college or university. Yeah.
2: You know which one's in Alabama? You didn't go to the one in Alabama. I did
1: not. I actually went to, (laughs) so I went to Lincoln University in Oxford, Pennsylvania, oh cool yeah um so it's it's interesting my 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 switch there from a predominantly white um high school and being in the suburbs of Long Island to an h b c u was really transformative because I remember at the time thinking like I want to go to a school where I am surrounded by people who look like me, like i desperate and even at that age, I felt like. There, that felt, that feeling felt so strong within me yeah. and I don't know where it came from, but I was just like, I know that I need this right now. Mm-hmm. Um, but interestingly, my time at an HBCU, um, was great and I did get all of the things that I was looking for, but I also felt like an outlier <laughs> there because you did. I How come? did because, you know, I, I, came from an all white high school. I came from a suburb. Um, I was, by that time I was a long way away from the Bronx. And, um, honestly, I, I didn't feel I was black enough, (laughs) you know, if, (laughs) if that is a thing, right. So I, I feel like in a lot of, um, you know, spaces in my life, I've always felt like an outlier, um, And, you know, coming from an HBCU and entering the workplace and starting my career in corporate, you know, I was back to sort of being the only other, you know, um, and being used to or yeah, just being uh, the only black woman um, in most workplaces. So, so yeah, so kind of bringing up, you know, fast forward and, and, you know, my decision to um, transform like my hair, you know, go back to being natural and curly. Um, came when I, t- at a time when I left corporate. And that felt like a strong calling and urge to just discover, self discover, um, yeah. and just, you know, draw a blank slate and reconnect to the things that were a part of my cultural identity that I had gotten away from, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. And that
0: that ties into your work as well, doesn't it? Do you want to tell us a little bit about what you do and how you help people?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So at the time that I left um, my career in corporate, um, it was a time of self-discovery, self-identifying, and just like really starting over a blank slate and asking the bigger questions of who am I? Who do I want to be in the world? um, And sort of asking those questions led me down a path of you know um spirituality understanding how i connect with my sense of self my sense of spirit where do i draw my faith from you know what role does my family play in this you know as as my foundation as you know the culture in which i come from you know and then answering the question of you know how who do I want to be in the world? You know, I'm, I'm black woman. I have varied experiences both in, you know, a white world and in a cultured world, the black African-American world. And like, I know both sides of that landscape, you know, and, you know, how do I how do I want to use this to inform my my work, you know, my career as a vehicle for transformation and change? Um, you know, coming from Caribbean parents, um, I feel like it's always instilled in us to work really hard, right? To be a provider, to be smart, you know, to get a really good paying job, you know, to be successful, right? And these are all really great you know, um lessons to to learn, you know, and to and for goal and goals to strive for, you know, and I realized, you know, throughout that path, there's not very many, you know, women in the workplace that look like me, you know, especially mm-hmm. in leadership positions, especially when we're looking for for role models, right? So a lot of the times that I was navigating my own career, I was navigating it blind, right? I was kind of looking to you know, um, the majority, you know, to see, like, tell tell me what I need to do to, in order to succeed, you know, and the majority meaning like the majority white, you know, and that's yeah. who I was around in the workplace. Um, so I looked to, to, to that to like, okay, I need to do that. Right. But their experiences, as we all know, are very different for people of color, right? right. The challenges are different, the, the roadway there, the, you know, it's different. Right. So I didn't, really have um, a lot of access to, to role models earlier on in my career. And so realizing that I wanted to make it accessible for people of color and specifically women of color to be able to access other role models, other people, you know, who have been through what they have been through that can relate to them in a way that you know, white people cannot, um, and, and, and serve as, as the role models that we desperately need, you know, um, I'm a big believer in using our careers as vehicles for change and transformation. And as we know, it's so much going on in the world right now, this work is needed now more than ever now more than ever. So, yeah, it's, it's just been so, um, incredible you know f- for me to just really go after the issues um, that matter to me you know as it mm-hmm. relates to people of color to women of color um, and to break break down barriers and to empower more change makers and thought leaders to take control of their careers and do the things that matter to them you know, and really fortify that connection to who we are and bring it out into the world because our voices need to be heard. Our stories need to be centered. Um, And it's, it's, it's just the work that we have in front of us or, you know, whether we...
0: And you you said all of that and you didn't, (laughs) you didn't even mention the name of the, of your company. (laughs) 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 You can plug it here, Arian. Go ahead. (laughs) (laughs) Where where would one go? Where would one go to find all of (laughs) this transformational? Yeah, exactly. Oh my (laughs) god!
1: (laughs) You guys are so funny. So amazing. (laughs) Uh, Yes, you know what? Yes. So my company is Project. She went for her dreams and you know the she stands for us right it's not just a men versus woman thing it's really about doing the work that we feel called and aligned to do um it's not a woman's challenge it's not a man's challenge it's a humanity's challenge you know and it's really stepping into this transformative work um but i you know i do feel that um you know regardless of kind of where we are in our career paths or in our personal paths right now, um, we all have a role to play in changing the narrative of how we create equality and unity within the world. And it's a, it's a tall order, but we can do this. We can do this in small steps. Um, yeah. So it, it is a,
2: t- it is a tall order and yeah. it, it's yeah. lofty and it's yeah. inspirational. It's aspirational.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: It's kind of a two part question. Did you know, when did you know you had to do this? And I, I mean, were you an eight or a 10 year old? What, what did you want to be when you grew up? Cause it, I don't think it was this.
1: <laughs> <laughs> that is such a great question. Um, so no, I did not know I wanted to do this. Um, so I remember first thinking that I wanted to be a veterinarian when I grew up. Um, and that, cause I loved animals. I loved animals. I still do. Um, but as I got older, I realized that you know animals die sometimes. That's just people die too. Oh yeah, people, I couldn't people take people it. Die. My heart was uh-uh. just like I can't.
2: Men, um, men and women, people of all yeah, colors, we all die. <laughs> we
1: all die. Exactly why I'm not a doctor, right? I just can't. I can't take death. Like it's just not my. So I was like, no, that's probably not a good career decision for me. But um, no, when I. Was first starting out. um, I wanted to be in business. I knew that business was the thing that I wanted to be in. And business is such a broad and general term, but it's just like I don't care. I want to learn as much as I can about commerce and capitalism and how does it work and the exchange of goods and services. Like I I want to be involved in that in that level. And that that's that was my thinking. You know, at the age of, of Twenty or so, like you know, early twenties, and I was just so fascinated with business. But as I grew older and as I matured, I realized that business can be a a vehicle for good, Um, Mm -hmm. and it's it's really like we have total autonomy about the careers that we choose and the decisions that we make. You know, Um, no matter what your career is, what your career path is. Um, and I know that there's a lot of pressure put on, you know, status and the role and the salary that you make and and all of those things that symbolize sort of a checkbox of success. Um, but as I got older, I realized that, that we have so much power to change to change the world, you know through the work that we're called to to do in the world, so i I, bl- I look at our careers as sort of a vehicle to create that impact, and that's really the heart of you know what we do at Project She went for her dreams is to understand you know how do you want to create good in the world, how do you want to impact the world by the careers, by the jobs that you choose because I believe that it 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 is it is possible for sure, yeah, yeah,
0: when you first decided to to go off the the beaten path and quit your job in corporate and start your own transformational empire that you now have. How did your parents respond to that?
1: Not great. That was a really tough conversation. Um, (laughs) That question uh, brought me back.
0: Go on.
1: That that question brought me back to legit the moment I had uh, talking with my <laughs> with my mother. She's gonna hear this. Uh, so talking <laughs> with my mother in the parking lot of um, one of my last jobs in corporate. And telling her, like, yeah, mom, I I kind of want to leave corporate. I kind of want to build my own business. I want to do my own thing. And here's why. And this is what I want to do. I really want to be a coach. I want to help people. Um, you know, again, my mother's from Jamaica. She's a Caribbean woman. She's just mm-hmm. like very, you know, hardcore when it comes to like let's let's get it done. Let's be successful. Um, so that conversation was a little bit hard you know, to, to navigate and, and to, you know, to be truthful, like I didn't even know at the time. I just knew that I wanted to start my own company, but I, I had no idea. I studied business, but it was very different from actually running your
0: own business. Oh, tell me about it, girl. I am living it. I know. Yeah. <laughs> they it's just like, like they did not wrong. teach me this in school. No. uh uh-uh. At all.
1: At all. Right? So it's right. like we know we want we know we want to do this thing, but it's it's just very different from being in the classroom. So I yes, I remember vividly just like having a really hard, difficult conversation and um being sort of honest with where I was at the time, um what I wanted and trying to explain that to her. And Mm -hmm. to be honest, like that conversation did not go well, you know? Um, I don't think that we came to any sort of resolution around that. Um, And honestly, since then it's taken years to really, you know, we've come, my mother and I have come back to that conversation numerous times and, you know, Honestly, it's, it's a conversation that, you know, can't happen in one sitting, but it is a conversation that happens over time because you are growing just as much as your parents are growing, right? And seeing right. the choices that you make and understanding them and letting go, right, of their expectations, of you, or letting go of, you know, the definition of success that, that mm-hmm. they have for you. Um, and even the definition that you have for yourself is a letting go. Sure. Because for for, for sure. a long time, it's like you kind of adopted that, right? You adopted your parents' definition of success. So so yeah, so it, it took a lot of conversations to understand each other. And, you know, I, I'd say probably within the last couple years, 3 years, you know, my mother has been and she's always been super supportive of me. Um, but I've really come to like have her support in my choices, you know, probably in the last couple of years, you know, because she had to see it <laughs> yeah. that this is my daughter, yeah. that she's really good at what she does and she sees me in action, you know, yeah. and really come to embrace and accept um what it is that I'm here to do.
0: Yeah. I think it's scary for parents, especially immigrant parents, mm-hmm. because it's like this feeling. I know like, yeah. you know, when I branched off and started my business too, mm-hmm. my parent and my parents are themselves, they're entrepreneurs. So mm-hmm. this is the irony of it. Like they've, <laughs> yeah. they've lived it, right. Yeah, they've yeah. built their own businesses, but there is something about the dream, the American dream of, getting your kids into a good school so that they can it's a have, formula. it's a formula. Right. It's a formula. You can, they can have a good job right. that nine right. to five is going to provide a yep. paycheck on the 15th and the 30th yeah. and a 401k and <laughs> right. health insurance, like all of those things. And then to have that person come back to you and be like, guess what? Gonna leave all that behind and, <laughs> and try to make my own money. And right. it's like, what are you doing? Um, and it's, I've lived it too. And my parents kind of, you know, they were, they were more supportive than I thought, like they've never not been supportive of it because mm-hmm. I think like, obviously like they've because they've built their own business, but they didn't believe that I was successful until mm-hmm. they started to see that, like, I wasn't going to them to ask them for mm-hmm. rent money, you know, like mm-hmm. that I was able to afford vacations. Like they kind of took, they took the financial cues. Yeah. 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 As a way to finally be like, okay, we can relax because right, right. clearly, if she's on a plane going somewhere <laughs> amazing with a beach, right. then she's making enough money to be able to afford that. So, right, right. it's yeah. It's your parents so understand.
2: Do your parents actually understand what you do now? Like, never mind accepting. Do they actually understand?
1: (laughs) Oh, they do. They do. Oh, that's good. Yes, yes. (laughs) And I I don't think that would have come until they actually saw me in action, you know? And I was able to have that happen at a talk that I did uh, about a year or two ago. Um, And just like, yeah. And just gradually by then, just seeing me in action, seeing how I work. It's just like, yeah, she really knows what she's doing. And I see her passion and conviction around it. So it's like you finally get their their blessing. <laughs> yeah. so
2: you talk about yourself as a black woman, but you've talked about your Jamaican mom. What's the how? How do you view that? Like what? What is your heritage? What is your connection to that culture of uh, the Caribbean culture? Or, or is it that that's the that's the thing of my parents?
1: Um, to be honest, you know that is a part of my culture that I am so desperately craving to be more closely connected to. And as an adult, as an adult, um, I grew up around just cultural, you know, Caribbean influences. I summered in Jamaica, like every summer up until I was around 10 years old. And so I, I was exposed to, you know, Caribbean cultures from, you know, very young age. But as I got older, I feel a little bit drifted away from that. If I'm being honest, and mm-hmm. you know, growing up in Long Island, there wasn't a lot of culture or Caribbean communities um, to connect with, and same thing for undergrad and being in university. So, um, yeah, I feel at a point where I'm um, I'm craving that. I'm craving sort of a reconnection to my Caribbean roots and wanting to know the stories. Like I real <laughs> I realized um, actually just last holiday for for Christmas, so I go visit my mother for Christmas every year. And and we had such a lovely conversation around just like what it was like growing up in Jamaica and asking my mother those those questions that you know like what was it like for you like what you know what was school like you know and i learned that my great grandmother um, was actually an entrepreneur. <laughs> she was an entrepreneur and would sell coffee and cocoa beans in you know her yard growing up in Jamaica or you know as a, as a woman in Jamaica. Um, and this was her business and she would have contracts with local businesses you know in the community and this is how she made her living and I learned for the first time that my mother, never really knew her grandmother to work like a traditional job. She was just always mm. an entrepreneur. She was just always like making her own way. So that was really validating to hear. It's like, okay, that's really great to know uh, that, that this is somewhere in my lineage that I can talk about or connect with um, because I do come from, you know, um, that history, that lineage of women makers and creators and business women. Um, so it, 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 makes, it makes a lot of sense. So I feel that I'm, cr- I'm, I'm really craving, you know, more information, more knowledge to understand, you know, myself a little bit more, to make those connections to my Caribbean roots. Um, and just, yeah, just to be able to know that history a little more.
0: Have you returned to Jamaica a lot in your adult life? You mentioned you summered. I like how you how you use that word.
1: Summered, yeah, that, that's that's the
2: Long Island, talking. That, that's that's the you're long Island talk. You're such a Long it comes Island girl. Out every
1: now and then, yes. Uh,
2: well, let's talk about that minority. experience.
1: <laughs> yes. No. So the the last time I've been to Jamaica, let's see, it's been quite some time. I'd say probably around five years now. It's been five years since I've I've actually been there. Um, I do have family there. Um, I have an uncle, I have cousins, um, who live there that I'm in touch with and, you know, stay connected with them. But I personally have not been there in a really long time. And I really hope to change that, um, when this all clears up and we can travel again and be in the world. But yes, yes, definitely. I want to to
2: do that. So I got, I got to also ask this question. Um, and it it is kind of related to the parent thing. Um, I I don't know your like uh relationship situation but it has was there an expectation from your parents that Oh, you're gonna meet a nice Caribbean boy, you know, like <laughs> kind of like my parents were like the Indian girl thing that didn't happen. Or I'm guessing Sharon, there's a Chinese boy expectation. No, right. Yep,
0: Chinese boy didn't happen for me. Yeah. So. How'd that
2: work out for us, right now? Anyway, <laughs>
1: I know that's that's really good. Um, so I'm laughing a little bit because yes, though, no, that definitely did not work out. My my parents. Let, let's just say this. I've never really felt that pressure to to, to marry, to be, you know, with a Caribbean boy or to like, you know, um, to have sort of that, that lifestyle. I feel really fortunate in that, um, but I'm laughing because, you know, the universe had very d- different plans. For me um, in terms of, you know, who I would find love with and be in relationship with. So I'm actually in relationship with another woman. Um and it's it's not, you know, something that I, you know, come from or have had, you know, experience with. Um, but I just happen to fall in love with a beautiful woman who is now my partner. And That's right. um, the- Arian Hunter, this is the <laughs> first time I'm hearing this. I know. <laughs> so funny I'm like laughing as I say on the podcast like, <laughs> oh my gosh I'm snorting a little bit that's so funny uh yes I realized that's so, about no, it hang so on let, me, let, me, ask oh let me ask the question a different way oh my god let me
2: ask the question a different way does no. your mom want her to be a Caribbean girl <laughs> <laughs>
1: not that I know of. No, Um, (laughs) no, it's so funny. Um, but no, it's, you know, it's, it, it was just a really beautiful transformative process, both for myself and for my parents to kind of learn acceptance, you know? And, Mm -hmm. um, I, I will say that it was a turning point for my relationship with you know, with, with my mother in particular, you know, and, um, knowing, yeah, like not really knowing that, you know, that would be the case for her daughter, um, that it, it sort of opened up something in her, you know, that she didn't know that she had it. I don't want to like put words in her mouth, but I, it has definitely created a new opening in our, in our relationship, it's just like, I, I I always say that the universe has a sense of humor <laughs> um, and just you. the ways in which we connect and unconditionally love. And um, for myself included, you know, I've been with my partner for for the last two years and that sort of, you know, yeah, just transitioning into loving a person, you know, of the same sex was, you know, not only a learning for myself, but a learning for, you know, my parents as well. And just having to, you know, sit with them through this and have a conversation and to answer questions that I don't even know the answers to, but, um, but just really being grounded in the space of of love, you know, and really being connected to a person, regardless of their, of their gender, you know, and I'm you, I just have to say this, I'm really, really proud of my parents (laughs) because I know that it wasn't easy for, for them, but I really, really am proud of them and so grateful, um, that they have been just so open and so just full of love you know, and my choices and my decisions, you know, about who I love, um because in Jamaican culture that is just a very hard conversation. Yeah. Um yeah. So I I feel very very fortunate in that.
0: That is so beautiful. <laughs> I'm 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 so happy for you. I have goosebumps right now. Oh my just god. <laughs> so yeah. happy for you.
1: Thank you. Thank you. I'm really happy. <laughs>
0: I feel like we can't get better than that. So Yeah, I'm literally for- like what? I go? I don't
1: go? 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 What That's like part what two. I know, yeah. right? Exactly.
0: Yeah. What do you think? Speed round? I think it's time for speed round. Are you ready for speed round, Aaron? Okay. Yes. I feel like you've already answered the first one, but yeah, we'll, we'll go out on a limb.
2: Know. Cause you gotta find you gotta dig deep now. Um What's, what's one thing about you that no one expects?
1: Honestly, I, I feel that no one expects that I'm from the Bronx. Um, I feel that how I present and how I talk and who I am. Oh, and
2: because you summer, you summer in the Caribbean. Because I summered yeah.
1: in the Caribbean. I <laughs> <laughs> Um, <laughs> I'm from the Bronx and I summered in the Caribbean. Um, but yeah, no, that's, that's usually I get the sort of shocked response of like, you're from the Bronx or, Oh, that's not what I expected. Um, when, where do people the people think,
2: people think you're from? from? Where do people think you're from?
1: Uh, the Midwest um, okay. somewhere. Yeah, yeah definitely. The, the Bronx is the last place on their mind. You have that,
0: you have that nondescript. Um, <laughs> I accent. Think so. You have like the no accent accent.
1: Yeah, you know? Yeah. So. I
0: think so. <laughs> What's a book or a movie or a television show with characters that you can relate to?
1: Oh God. Okay. I wish we had so much more time. I could go on and on about the TV show Pose. Um, so I don't know if you know of it, but Pose is uh the show about the um you know, homo homosexuality in the eighties and Mm -hmm. the ballroom culture and the inequalities and challenges that, um, you know, gay men and women have faced in the eighties, um, the AIDS epidemic. And there's one character on there played by Billy Porter, whom I seriously love. And, and I'm like bowing to him right now. Um, he has been, um, such an inspiration just as an actor and as a, a character on the show. Um, he's just so strong and resilient and is really the voice of freedom and power for uh, for the community, you know, especially in that time. So I, I really I relate to him.
2: <laughs> That's great. What is um your favorite mom dish?
1: Um oxtail. <laughs> Nice.
0: Oh yeah. yeah. jamaican Oh so god. I can eat the that gravy
1: that yes. yeah, it's just she cooks it for me every time I go to visit her. Oh, so lucky. <laughs> What's your
0: least favorite food?
1: Least favorite. Um I want to say gnocchi. Gnocchi. Mm-hmm. I I've tried it and I tried to love it, but it's just not a dish that I'm a fan of. I don't know what it is. Um I Consider myself a pretty open person, but it's something about the the texture and the flavor that yeah. I'm just not feeling. So I'm going to say Too
0: doughy. Is that what it is? <laughs> yeah,
1: I think so. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, who's someone
2: out there that you would want to interview on a podcast?
1: So, uh, so I just finished reading a book by Mickey Kendall called uh, Hood Feminism, and she is someone that I would love to just be in conversation with Um, her book really is about um, the voices of survivors that the feminist movement has forgotten. Or has fallen behind. Um, and she talks about those who are facing challenges in low-income communities um, that we we just don't think about when it comes to conversations around women's empowerment and feminism. And it's really opened my eyes to, to my own work um, and the stories that I want to center. Because if we're not talking about feminism and women's empowerment on the, in the context of all women and being inclusive and diverse in that, in that conversation, we are not, we're, we're not moving the cause forward. Um, So she's very insightful in this conversation. And that was, that's, that's someone I think of that I would love to to interview, talk more with. That's great. Yeah.
0: Great. Okay. Last question. (laughs) What does being a model minority mean to you?
1: Such a good question. Um, So being a model minority means to me, um, it means to embrace all of your qualities, all of your characteristics, your stories, um, the pieces that humanize you, um, the pieces that make you different and unique, um, and adding that story to the conversation because it matters. It absolutely matters. I think I think there is space for all of us. I think there is space for our stories to be told and for each other to gain from those stories. Um, and that is up to us as model minorities to tell those stories unapologetically and courageously so that we can be inclusive and move the needle towards greater inclusion.
2: Ariane, I'm just... Uh... My jaw is dropping. So many good ones in this conversation. um,
1: You've completely, you've completely
0: blown our minds. And I've known you, like that's I've known you for so long, and you still blew my mind today.
1: Oh, you guys are amazing! This was so so good, so fun. (laughs) Well, no, in all seriousness, thank you just for um, being
2: thoughtful, being being really open, and. Just yeah, sharing your story with everyone who's listening. Yeah. Thanks so much, Ariane.
1: Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. This is a real pleasure.
2: And that's our show.
1: Like what you heard? Please subscribe
0: and rate us on your favorite podcasting platform. For more about this episode, links to things mentioned, or to join the conversation, visit com. We'd love to hear from you.
2: Now here's a preview of our next episode. Essentially, they only had enough money to, like, you know, put them into one one of the boats. And obviously, I don't know if you've heard any stories around people kind of doing a similar type of escape type of journey. But they would use they used to flood these boats, right? Like, it was not safe whatsoever. There was no standard procedure, right? Everything was like under the table. And mm-hmm. um, long story short, the boat ended up sinking. That's it for now. I've been Ramen
0: Segal, and I'm still Sharon Lee Tony.
2: Remember. We're all model minorities out there.
0: We'll talk to you soon. plus.